Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Dallas-based multidisciplinary female artist Avita Tizano. Her collage paintings employ richly patterned hand-painted papers and found objects in a contemporary folk art style. Avita's work depicts a cast of characters in harmonious everyday scenes inspired by her family and friends, childhood memories in South Texas, personal dreams and moments from her adult life, and influenced by the great 20th century modernists Romir Bearden, Elizabeth Catlett, and W.H. Johnson. Scenes of joy animate her visions of a black America filled with humanity. She was the recipient of prestigious Elizabeth Catlett Award for the New Power Generation, and her work is included in the permanent collection of the African American Museum of Dallas and the Embassy of the Republic of Madagascar, Beth Rudin DeWoody Collection, among others. In addition, her work has been acquired by prominent collectors, entertainers, media personalities, and athletes, including Esther Silver Parker, Samuel Lee Jackson, Lori David, Susan Taylor, David Hoberman, amongst others. Her recent solo exhibitions include Better Days in 2021 at Luis de Jesus in Los Angeles, Sharing Memories in 2021 at Art Center of Palano, Texas, and earlier at the Delma Harris Gallery in Oakland, California. Her work has been published and featured in numerous publications and media outlets, including Art Forum, Artillery Magazine, Art Matters, Document Journal, Black Art in America, Culture Type, The Dallas Examiner, and many others. Please visit SuriWoman.com for her expanded and interesting bio. Enjoy. Avita, welcome to my podcast. It's great to feature you. Well, it's great to be here. So let's dive in. I'm hoping you have a lot to say. When did you discover your artistic passion? Ever since I can remember. I remember when I was little, I would draw on the walls and the floor. And my grandmother said, well, we need to get you a pad. So they bought me art supplies from this store in Port Arthur, Texas named Fred Miller. So I remember as a child having these drawing pads ever since I can remember. I think I was maybe five years old. And I I always, so I told my grandmother, she she raised me because my, my mom and my dad, they moved to another city for a little bit. And then I, then, you know, they came back and then my grandmother, I decided to stay with my grandmother. So my grandmother raised me. And I just remember telling her that I'm going to be a famous artist one day. And that's all I want to be. And she said, no, artists don't make any money. But I said, I want to be an artist. 
I said, I'm, I'm going to be an artist. So ever since I can remember, that's all I wanted to do. Do you remember if there was a particular artist or certain type of uh, style of painting or, or art that you were really drawn to? Well, growing up in the time that I did, I was not aware. You know, I went to a Black high school, but I took art there, but I just, they didn't talk about Black artists. So I was only familiar with what was in history books that I that was available to me. So I was really drawn to the Impressionism at the time. Monet, Degas, the soft paintings of the Impressionism. So my first start with doing art, I painted Impressionism. So that's what I gravitated to. And then when I got older... I started learning about these Black artists and all of the different styles and genres. And that's why my my artwork began to evolve. Did you ever consider um, abstract work, like not figurative? You know, I tried, but it didn't speak to me, so I abandoned it. How would you define your practice? Well, we coined the phrase contemporary folk because my work it tells a story and it has that kind of, I say maybe primitive style a little bit, just a little primitive of how I treat the figures. So we coined it as contemporary folk. I like that. Yeah, contemporary folk art. And I like that too. My work is very narrative. It tells a story. It tells stories of being Black in America. And I think that's what folk art kind of does. It has a very distinct narrative, and it tells a story. And are your childhood memories reflected in the work? Oh, most definitely. Grew up with a wonderful family. My family's from Louisiana, and I just remember so many fond memories of us getting together and eating and doing things together. My grandmother used to get on the floor and play jacks with me. She made my, all my own clothing. My mother used to take me to uh, the store downtown and it was a big production because, you know, you get dressed. We used to dress up to go shopping. It was just so wonderful. So it reflects in my work because all the ladies are always, always dressed. And also I implement buttons in my work because my grandmother and her mother and my aunt were all seamstress. So I do implement the buttons that was passed down to me when they passed away in my work. Have you thought about what other career you would have pursued if you weren't an artist? Well, believe it or not, at the same time I was doing art, because I've been practicing art professionally for about 30 years. And so at the time, it wasn't, I would say, very lucrative. It was not sustaining my lifestyle. So I had to work. So I was a chef. I've been vegan for almost 40 years. So I was a vegan chef for about maybe 20 years. So I did that. And if I the artwork didn't work, I would continue to be a chef because I love to cook. And it's a form of art. It is a form of art. And I, I was very pretty successful with the with my culinary skills. I had a small television show on a Christian network. I had a catering company. I did cooking classes. I wrote a cookbook. So I did a lot of things as a chef. Wonderful. Wow. That's mm -hmm. impressive. So comparing the two, what, what do you enjoy most about being a visual artist? I like taking what's not tangible, which is a memory or a thought, and then making it tangible. That's what is just so amazing. Because these things that I I create, 
is in my brain. It's in my mind. And they're not tangible because you can't touch them. But then I take them and create them, and then it becomes a tangible object. And it just blows me away. Do you listen to music while you're working? I do. I do. I'm a Christian. So I listen to Christian music. I use the present worship music because I have it blasting in my studio. So I listen to that. And sometimes I listen to, believe it or not, I like opera. I listen to opera sometimes. Uh, I listen to classical music, but I mostly listen to praise and worship music. When do you know when a work is finished? It tells me when it's finished. I work on it. And sometimes I fiddle, especially because I paint the background. But I hate to say my work is kind of like paint by numbers, but it kind of is because you start with the background and then you have the spaces where I cut out paper and I, I adhere them to where the white spaces are. And so when, when, then when there's no one white spaces, I feel that the piece is done. When do you know what you're going to name a work, the title? Well, that's an interesting thing because some of the work, it speaks to me. It tells me what it needs to be named. Because sometimes I, I, I hear songs in my head from, like, I have one that you're my everything. I just completed that one. That was for the show that I did in Miami. And I grew up in the 70s. So that song used to be played on the radio. And then I, you know, I had a, I had one of the pieces was called Sharp Dressed Man. And that was very, that song was played on the radio when I was in, I think I was in college. ZZ Top sung that song, Sharp Dressed Man. I think I was in college when that song on. So a lot of the, a lot of the titles are inspired by songs and the image. I kind of have that in mind when I'm sketching it out. And also poems, because I love poetry. So I might read a poem and then the line, I, I read uh, the line, jot it down. And then later on, I come back to that and I said, oh, that goes with that piece that I did. So it comes from poetry. It comes from maybe things my grandmother used to say and also from songs. Do you feel Black art can be defined? I really don't think so because Black art is so broad. And what makes Black art Black art? You know, it's because it's created by a Black person. So there's Black artists that are doing abstract, that are doing installations. So, in, in, you know, there's some pieces that you don't even know that a Black artist created that. So it's really undefined. It's Black art because maybe an, a Black artist did it, but visually it's not Black art. But my art is visually, you can tell a Black artist did it because all my figures are Black they look like Black people. And I, I remember an art critic came to me and said, why don't you do Chinese people? Or why don't you do Hispanic people? I said, because all I know is Black people. And so I create Black people because of my memories. So I think that Black art is undefined because, you know, that you have some artists that are creating figurative art but there's some art that are installation pieces, abstract pieces, and you don't know a Black artist that created that. So it's very undefined. Do you feel the audience understands your work? I really do. Because when people see my work, they always identify it as either a family member or someone that they knew as a child or a story someone told them, and that it makes them smile. 
So I really feel that people really understand and identifies with my work. How do you keep learning? Oh, well, most people were digital. So I go to YouTube University. When I have to learn something new, I go there and I say, okay, I need to learn this new technique. Or I uh, enrolled in Skillshare and they have like a, lo a lot of different videos on there. So I've been watching that. And also I went back to school and I, this was a couple of years ago, but I took printmaking at the um, junior colleges here in Dallas. And I took I really, I went there for three years. I was th really thinking about going back and get my master's in printmaking, but I decided not to, but I, I learned so much. And so when I want to learn something, I just go to the junior college. They have great teachers. Or I go to YouTube university. What does your workspace look and feel like? Well, I have 1,500 square feet of space. I share it with my studio mate, and I have the back end half. So I have the largest part of the studio. And I have a, uh, like almost like a, uh, I would say an office area, but we use that. I use that area too, because when I do my drawings, I draw them on graph paper. And then I take a picture of them and then I project them on whatever surface that I'm going to work on. So I have like an office area that has a desk, but we don't use that as an, I don't use that as an office. I use that to project because I have a blank wall. So I use that to project my pieces on the canvas that I'm working on or either the board that I'm working on or whatever. Then I have a huge warehouse space in the back then that's where i i said that's when the magic happens i have stencils and all my paints and the tables workspaces and i have my file cabinets where i file all my papers i have flat files i have two big flat files where i when i paint my papers because i hand paint all my papers and then I have somebody that helps me stencil the pieces because I have to create a lot of work. So I have a lot of, I have a young lady that comes in when she's in town, she, she goes off to college, but when she's in town, she comes and she loads up my quiver, I would say, with stenciled paper that she helps me create. I love this space. I've been here for about a year, almost two years, and I love this space. But I, I feel like I'm growing it because I want to start doing printmaking and I want to get a press. So that's going to be my next spot. You know, I want to even go bigger. What is your process of choosing color? I graduated from college in graphic design back in the day before computers were on the scene. So they taught us color theory and harmony of color in pieces. So because I've had that background, I guess I choose complementary colors or what colors will speak to each other. I look at the color wheel a lot, but sometimes I put colors that don't even supposed to go together together. So I, it's whatever feeling I want to portray. If I want it to be a very happy, I pick bright colors. If I want it to be kind of somber, I pick pick a uh, muted tones, but I have to always throw in a bright color in there from time to time because that's kind of my, my signature is bright colors. But I pick colors to create a mood. As a visual artist, what would you say are some of the most substantial challenges that you've encountered? Oh, wow. A lot. Well, before social media, I would get in a van with a group of artists and we used to travel around the country to sell our artwork. And 
the challenges were also because back then arts, I think it was a male dominated arena. And to see females sustaining themselves with art was very, it wasn't a lot of female artists out there. So I remember an artist told me, Avita, don't get married or don't, uh, don't have children because it's, it's going to mess up your art practice because you, you, you get your, your head messed up. So I, it was funny. <laughs> it was, it was, and, and that's not, that's not why I remained single and I, I didn't get, you know, I, I did, I, I was married, but I got a divorce and I didn't get married again. I didn't have children, but that's not why I did. But I, I was so into my career as, you know, a chef and art so I just decided to be very, very focused on what I was doing. And there was a lot, a lot of challenges because back in the day, Black art was not as, I would say, in vogue as it is now. Everybody loved, I would say, the Black figure, or they even like the art created by the black figure so it's very sustainable now i have a lot of friends that are quitting their jobs and becoming artists and sustaining themselves as visual artists and that was not really heard of back in the day unless you were a very matured artist so i would say social media really opened the door to resilience in the art field because now everybody can see your work all over the world. Because to be honest, that's how the gallery that is representing me now, that's how they found me was through social media. And it opens the door. It makes the almost the playing ground level because celebrities have contacted me about my work. And, you know, we talk like we just, we're like friends. So it's amazing how social media has changed the game. And it, and it doesn't make it as a challenge as it was back in the day where you had to, you know, send slides and, and, and then physically get in your car and, and drive your work to somebody to see it or even ship your work where you could just send an email now and somebody will see your image in a matter of a second. So what are you excited about now? Oh my goodness. I'm excited about being alive, Phyllis. <laughs> I'm really excited because I'm healthy and my art is so celebrated. You know, I, I've been showing with Louise de Jesus Gallery for almost three years. And every single show that I've shown with them has sold out. And I'm so excited. It just blows my mind how people have embraced my work and they understand what I'm saying. They love my work. They love my narrative and it's humbling. But at the same time, I'm so excited because they get what I'm trying to say. They, they understand that I'm trying to tell them that being black is not always sadness because a lot of people portray that, you know, they, I've been asked, you know, they said, you don't do anything political. I say there's artists that do that. But I said, I want to celebrate Black joy. I want to br celebrate Black families. And they're, they're getting that. They're understanding. And I'm so excited that people are embracing my work. And I have a waiting list of people that want my work. People that, that are so disappointed when they get to 
either the art fair later or don't get preview of the show on time and everything is sold out. I, I'm excited. I'm excited that I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. And I really believe that I will be creating work well into my 90s or maybe even till I'm 100. Because I'm healthy, I feel well. I'm just elated about life and the, the ability to create. So this is our last question. What do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? I believe I, I'm an evangelist. And I believe that art is almost evangelistic tool to convey a message. And I believe that I'm a messenger to invoke a message of hope, of joy, of happiness. And each artist have their position in this scope of art as evangelists. You know, some talk about different subjects, but my platform is joy, happiness, showing that Black people, they were under suffrage, but at the same time, they celebrated love, they celebrated each other, they celebrated families. So I believe that we are, we are evangelists and we're here to tell a message depending on what platform or what, I don't want to say niche, but what scope that you are in, I believe that we are here to tell a, tell a, a message to our audience. It's been a treat speaking with you today. Yes, it's been a pleasure to speak with you as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.